welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your Warhammer 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Mr. Petey Pob, and if you're wondering why I occasionally trail out in silence like this, it's because uh, I have a new member of the podcast in the studio. That is right, I have Toothless, the red-eyed crocodile skink, and occasionally, if I'm a little too loud, he's very sensitive, he just got moved in, so... I might tone it down sometimes when I get super excited and loud, but I also might just mute my mic. So if you hear weird audio adjustment volumes and stuff, that is why. Also, if you're wondering why uh, maybe there's some audio where I sound a little lower or sound a little higher than I should, that's because Panda had to mess with it and mess with my levels. But after you get settled in, we're going to be going back to a normal podcasting audio level setup. Anyways, I'm just really more excited to talk about this awesome little pet that I just got. That's all. Moving on. This main topic is going to be so exciting. That's right. We're going to be talking about judges, a judge circuit, a 40k judge circuit, and cheating, and what a 40k judge circuit can do for cheating in Warhammer 40k. Now, before I introduce the guests, I would like to go on record in saying that I do not think there is a cheating problem in Warhammer 40k. I think that oh, the overwhelming majority of people and players in the game are honorable, fair, amazing people. It's the overwhelming majority. However, we all know that one bad apple does spoil the bunch, and optics is so critical for taking 40k to the next step. That is, if we have one cheater who comes out to the forefront in the limelight, they are going to represent us to the vast majority of the community and to the vast majority of the gaming community, the nerd hobbying community as well. So having said that, it's important that we as a community start to take steps in a direction of professionalism to improve and promote competitive 40k. That's what this episode is going to be all about. But before we get into the rest of that, first our guests, I have probably not the best example of honor. Uh, our resident Archon Skari from Scardcast. I'm joking. He's an honorable guy. Ouch. That's the, that's the way you introduce me on the podcast now. <laughs> This, you're, this you're is an a archon. backstabbing archon who cheated his way to the top of the dark city. However, he is an honorable 40k player. So Fair thank enough. you. Thank you, Pablo. Hello, everyone who's listening. All one listener. Okay, there you go, Pablo. That's, <laughs> oh. that's how... <laughs> That's how honorable your podcast is. Mm, yep, absolutely. Yes. You That one listener. And my fact, that listener's actually on the podcast now. Longtime listener... Longtime magic player, longtime Pablo harasser. We've got Kelsey on. Hey everybody. Um, I don't always harass you, just most of the time. <laughs> For those of you who are wondering, Kelsey is. Um, I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more. But essentially, Kelsey is someone who, whenever a magic thing happens or a forty k thing happens, in addition to other stuff going on in the community, he's always one of the first people who messages me about it. He's kind of like my my forty k magic you know, partner in crime where we talk about constantly, we talk about the, what the magic community is comparing to the 40 gig community and stuff like that is great. And for this topic, he's going to be an absolute wealth of information. And then finally I brought, had to bring on our resident best competitive 40 gig player on the podcast. That is he's honor incarnate and he's absolutely an all outstanding guy, Brandon Grant. Oh, thank you, Pablo. Although I shudder to think what you would have said if I also played Dark Eldar. It, it would have been something bad. I would have called I you know. homunculus. I think you're just biased against Dark Eldar. 70% chance it would have been better than it was. 
Ah, oh, Skari with the 70% chance. Yes, I am very salty against Dark Eldar. I have been spending, as a quick aside, I've been spending an absurd amount of time trying to revamp a Necron list that I've been working so hard on just to compete with Dark Eldar. And I think I'm probably going to have to enlist coaching service at some point. But more on that later. Let's but, go ahead and jump into the announcements. And thank you for the very warm welcome. No problem. All right. This episode was brought to you by the Lone Star Open Frontline Gaming. The Lone Star Open tickets are up for sale. They sell out fast. Get your tickets there. Also, go to the Frontline Gaming page. Take a moment to look around through all of our events. We have a ton of events coming up later this year. Familiarize yourself with them. Find the one that's local to you because these are going to be the absolute hot ticket events coming in the future of competitive 40k. You're absolutely going to want to be a part of these events. Uh, We've got big plans for them beyond just making them large majors and super majors. Uh, But I can't talk more on that, but it's just we've got a lot of big plans. You definitely want to go to those events uh, for sure. Mark them on your calendar. Take a look. The Lone Star Open is going to be the next one that we're selling tickets for. That's in happening in July uh, in, oh, shoot, uh, Dallas, Austin, Austin, uh, <laughs> Texas. Anyways, uh, we also have the Atlantic City Open coming up in June. And we also have Las Vegas Open ticket sales coming up June 1st as well. So stay tuned for that. We've got a lot of great events happening in the frontline gaming world. All right. so. Let's um let's go ahead and just uh nip this in the bud early. Uh a lot of people are talking about it. The thing that kind of sparked this conversation in this episode uh which was um an incident that happened at a tournament recently. I don't really want to go too much into it, but essentially for the uninitiated of those of you who still don't know, uh, there was a prominent player. Um he was actually the number 1 in the ITC before the event started um and he cheated on camera. It, it was pretty pretty clear um, that it happened. Uh, we don't need to get into any interpretations or anything like that. They cheated on camera, uh, and they actually announced it publicly, opened up, uh, uh, owned up to it, apologized, uh, and they were given a zero in ITC scores for the rest of the ITC season by us, by the ITC. By um, so they've been appropriately, in my opinion, appropriately handled. Um, a lot of people. Have overall been uh, applauded you know the itc for giving them a zero and it's something that that set a bit of a precedent that we didn't normally have before right we're entering this new age of 40k where uh you know we have like the itc issuing this kind of this this uh zero point no point for this player um we have tos asking for more and more um rules violation enforcement and things like that and with these conversations and with all this event going on i think it it was a great time to talk about this so scary kelsey and brandon opening the floor real quick do any of you have anything else to add to this before we move on to the main topic i think that it's important to understand that action has been taken i think it's an appropriate action the actions that were um it and there was definitely like varying degrees of viscerality from the community in some ways to the point where i believe there were like death death threats and things that were sort of like thrown towards this player you know stuff like that i don't think is warranted so you know but i'm very happy that the the itc 
as a governing body has sort of like laid the foundations to move forward and to have like a very clear level of expectation and castigation for like misplay basically or like you know uh, cheating essentially yeah i'd agree with that scurry i think that um going forward if this is the response to what can be verified as intentional cheating then uh, i support that pablo you can correct me but i don't think something like this has happened yet but I'm sure that our code of conduct being enforced like this is a step in the right direction in terms of there was an investigation, intent was confirmed, and then it's a temporary ban, essentially. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get into this more often, but that's all I need to say on this for now. I will have to say that uh, uh, props for to him for coming forward, too. That's not a easy thing to say to you know publicly that to admit that you cheated and and yeah i just have to say that's really the props to him for doing that it's a good first step yeah those are all really good points so uh i'm glad brandon i'm glad you brought up the code of conduct more on that in a second uh to kelsey's point this is something that we've give we've caught people in the act live on stream and they've been dealt with accordingly by their kind of local TOs and local communities and local tournament circuits. This is the first time the ITC has done something like this to a player um, to this extent. Uh, there have been, you know, there have been players who've been removed, had their points zeroed out. Um, this is privately, so this isn't something that's like, that was more publicly known, but you know, it does happen, right? There are, there are TOs and there are players who try to like fudge their scores or or cheat and then we kind of go in there and, and you know act accordingly so this isn't something that the itc is unfamiliar with dealing with but this one was so public right it's it was previously always something not to like like belittle it but it was always something like small or or insignificant it was always like um something that didn't necessarily catch the public eye right and the, I just want to let everyone know that the ITC does, you know, does protect your interests in competitive 40k and your ITC points. Obviously, we don't catch everything. Um, that that'd be very, very impossible to do, um, considering the resources we have to work with. But we do our best to to make sure that we keep everything fair and on the up and up and level. But uh, this one was very public. It was it was very uh, not calculated, but it was very deliberate. Um, and I, I think it was overwhelmingly positively received by the community. And on top of that, TJ apologized and essentially just kind of admitted fault. And so, and, and I use his name. I, everyone can, kind of knows who it is now. He he posted it. You know, his name was posted on an article that he wrote specifically calling himself out and apologizing. So um, that's public knowledge now at this point. But basically, he apologized accepted the outcome and was just like i'm gonna do better and that was it we don't see that very often i think i think kelsey i'm glad you brought that up because that is something that normally people's gut reaction is to save face and move on um and and maybe kind of like weasel their way out of out of uh taking complete blame and i'm sure some of you still might feel that way about a statement but he did ultimately own up to it went public and apologized, and um, I think that's where we can leave it at that. Uh, now, 
Brandon, you mentioned the code of conduct. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because the code of conduct right now technically does cover stuff like this, right? Like if you look at the code of conduct and you follow it by the letter, TJ absolutely messed up with, you know, with the plague bearers and the plague bearers, right? The, no, 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 not the, you know what I'm talking about. The, the little, the dudes, the reanimation Pox stuff. Poxwalkers. Poxwalkers. Thank you. The point is, is that the, there was clear violations of the code of conduct in play on the stream, but there's nothing that goes beyond that for the code of conduct, right? There's, it's like the judiciary branch, right? There's like, there's the, this is the law. This is what, this is what is and isn't acceptable. This is what warrants a yellow and a red card, but it doesn't let anyone know what yellow or red cards mean, right? And so that's where, that's where people kind of have difficulty understanding with what's going on and that's what where people want to change right is not the the code of conduct itself which i think is actually very well written but it's the executive branch the stuff that happens afterwards that people start to have issue with and that's where i think we can learn a lot from magic and where we can really start to step up our game as a community around that so that's that's to your point on the code of conduct okay so it sounds like I think we wanted to get some background information on Magic the Gathering. That's why Kelsey's here. I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a quick introduction and then Kelsey's going to take it away because he is the man. So essentially what Magic has right now is they have something called the DCI or a judge community of judges who basically run the, the show. They, they run the events there. They have levels uh, and depending on the level of judge, a level three judge, for instance, it would be like more like a regional TO. They go and they facilitate the, you know, the prize support and the events and they coordinate the judges to run separate like side events and stuff. And they, they make sure the whole shebang works, right? So it's actually wizards doesn't actually step in and run these events it's actually the judges and channel fireball. So it's kind of like two different entities that kind of work in tandem and run these like big events, right? That's not every event, but that's the majority of them. It's like the magic fests and stuff. So it's different than the way 40 K works. 40 K works. Uh, you have one TO, usually a singular TO. He has sometimes a network. They sometimes have a network of other TOs that help them, but it's essentially just, you know, one person or a group of people who do everything. They, they are responsible for supplying their own judges. They're responsible for running the event, making sure it's, you know, it, it's either financially sustainable or that it, it, they don't bankrupt themselves. They supply the terrain. They supply the prize support. They do all of that stuff. Magic doesn't. Magic is just a group of entities that all work together to bring you this awesome event. And what that does for magic is it gives them the flexibility and the power to do things that 40k normally wouldn't, right? So when you have specifically at the smaller RTT and GT level, you have a an overly stretched thin TO trying to make judgment calls, trying to run the event, trying to appease the store owner, trying to get prize support, aggregate prize support. You know, they're also probably setting up terrain, breaking it down, they're overworked. Um, and even with help, they are still in their domain, judge, jury, and executioner. So, Magic solved this with the DCI. So, Kelsey, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your experience with the DCI as a uh, player and how some of the stuff that the judges do really 
hones in on the the issues with magic and kind of like uh the issues with player conduct and magic and kind of how improves player conduct and how 40k basically needs some of that well i guess to start off with my background i've been through all kinds of different places um one of my good friends is a level two judge actually a couple of my friends are level two judges um been through all the different levels of events pro tours and magic fest i guess now not gps and what those people who run it because there's people who run it and then there's the judges and then there's wizards so wizards is basically like gw they're the overarching um company that owns the ip and everything um there's different companies that run the tournaments like um, star city games <laughs> and um channel fireball which is kind of like frontline gaming who are the people who run it and then there's the judges which 40k as you're mentioning doesn't have there's no dci there is no standardized judging um judges which you know can be good and bad because on the upside like you know a lot of people are more personal with the people who are quote-unquote judges for events but at the same time there's no consistency so i don't know if you guys ever had it so that you're the quote-unquote head judge or it wouldn't be quote-unquote but it's be the head judge of an event will rule something and everyone will be like wait no that's not how that works dude like that's not <laughs> that that's not the actual ruling and to avoid that what wizards did is there's a standardized um ruling basically for everything all, all these judges actually have written down uh, what they need to do in order to become a judge um for like a level one you need to have judged two events there's an interview there's a you have to have a recommendation from either a level two or level three judge there's a test on top of that which has like the weirdest rules interactions that like anyone could ever come up with so it'd be like if if there's an aura that shuts up auras and another aura that shuts up auras and they're right next to each other and then someone uses a stratagem which shuts off auras like which one takes precedence it's stuff like that and that's just for level one and level two you need to have judged six events you need a recommendation again from another judge um you need two reviews of uh, reviews from other judges you need to have written an article or a conference report or a tournament report with multiple judges at that event there's another interview and then there's another test and this test includes the willingness to mentor the understanding of of investigation and regional community involvement basically you have to have been part of the community and pushing it forward in order to become a level two judge and that's just level two there's level threes and i believe there's level fours i think but i think at that point you become a wizards employee and yeah yeah and yeah. going along with oh sorry i'm going really long but um in court in on the other side of that there's these things called rule enforcement levels and it's basically um there's like casual reg uh, there's regular competitive and professional so think of it as the different rulings that there would be for like an rtt a gt and a major and each of these different events the these um have dif no, these different rules enforcement levels have different rules and the different um they have different punishments for different infractions so if you are uh, have marked cards as a regular at, um rel or rule enforcement level event you kind of get a slap on the wrist and you get disqualified from your small local tournament but if you're on a if you do that in a professional tournament you get dq'd you get kicked out 
um, and he um, Pablo, what happened with that? The Trump there, he had like he got like he lost his job basically because he was part of their pro tour and he got kicked out and everything, right? I I think I I don't actually know who you're talking about. However, there have definitely been cheaters in Magic who have absolutely lost their careers because of cheating, right? Like that that is the thing, and I, I'm so glad you brought up the rule enforcement levels. So essentially. Um, a rule enforcement level is uh enforcement level that you you would put on an event. And in 40k terms, for those of you who maybe don't play magic, basically it would be how much your judge or your or your TO cares about your game and following the code of conduct, right? It's not actually about following the code of conduct because you should follow the code of conduct regardless of, of what rule enforcement level you're playing against, but if you're playing 0 and 6, you know, at the bottom table at the LVO, you're going to be, you shouldn't be punished as harshly as someone who made the top 8 at the LVO. You should still follow the code of conduct. There should still be yellow cards, red cards. You still shouldn't be, you know, a dick to your opponent. However, if you are 0 and 6 at the bottom table, I would say that that qualifies for a lower rules enforcement level than at the top of you know the top eight at the LVO where you're on stream, you're an you're officially an ambassador for the game. You're dealing with a, you know potentially winning a large amount of money, so cheating at that point becomes a crime, like an actual federal crime. I think it's like a class B misdemeanor or something. We looked it up a long time ago. Basically, uh, definitely don't cheat if you're in the running for that. Don't cheat at all, but especially don't cheat in the running if you're in the running for winning the ITC champion because there's it's. It, it can be bad, right? There's 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 actual money and prize and clout involved in something like that. So that's why the rule enforcement level in Magic is different depending on if you go to a Friday Night Magic casual event where it's just your buddies at a local store. It's, you know, 10, 15 people. The prize isn't really that big of a deal, you know, uh, as opposed to a Wizards event where you need to play at a professional level because that's what's expected of you. Then what I'm hearing, Pablo, is the more serious you are into the game, the more competitive you're getting, the higher the expectation is that, number one, you know what your rules are, and number two, that you need to play as tightly as possible. So, like, for example, no takebacks. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, the penalties for cheating aren't just unofficially worse for someone who's more famous or more competitive, but intentionally, very much so, written into the Code of Conduct, they are intentionally worse because when you're in the running for, say, something like the ITC championship where you have money involved, it is literally a crime. I think yeah. there's something else that you could say is, as an analogy, this sort of thing does exist with, like, paint scores. Right? Like, some big events, you know, have, like, more elaborate paint scores than others, for example. Right? And it'd be one of those things where, depending on the event, you could have different sort of, like levels of enforcement and yes i think that there should be some sort of tiered system that can be developed for 40k in this sort of like mirror image that allows us to sort of like hey you're playing at the top eight of the lvo well there's a judge at every table or whatever it is that we need to do and i'm not saying that you want to do it just for like to make sure that like there's no foul play which is part of it but it's also to sort of just cover all your bases not only as a to but as as a as like an event as a player as an as a sort of like organized sport as well yeah go ahead kelsey 
Um, one more thing that in order for these different um, REL's or rule enforcement levels, you actually need a certain level judge to just want to bring that up. So not only is the the punishments and like the I guess the the rules, the amount that they're enforced higher. It's also the level of judge necessary to catch these things is higher. Like you can't hold a competitive REL event without a level two judge. Like people will have to fly them in. At least Ryan, <laughs> you have to like they fly them in in order to hold certain events. Like you need a specific like a level of, I guess like a person who is qualified to judge such an event, which is kind of you know something kind of cool. Yeah, and and the reason why this is so important, why why you can do stuff like this in Magic, is because they, they do these judges do go through vetting processes, right? They they and I'm sure I'm sure this does happen, but in general, they don't have vested interests in who wins or loses events. They also are 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 being held to a high standard and go through the rigors to be you know be declared as impartial uh, arbitrators, ambassadors to the game. They're also compensated well. Um, well, uh, well, actually, that's a sticky subject. But essentially, um, <laughs> they the judges do get stuck. Like they, you don't. It's not a volunteer thing. It's you get like judge promos, magic boxes. Um, at least in the past, you got judge promos, magic boxes. Being a judge, it wasn't just you didn't just do it for the love of the game. You got compensated in some way for it. Um, now there there was some controversy with compensating judges, which I'm sure we'll talk about. You know, because it is something that that is an issue with 40k judges but as um someone said on uh facebook i'm not gonna say who and i'm not gonna say where um but they 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 made the brilliant statement of like there's actually very few 40k judges that they would trust to to run everything to do to be like the equivalent of a level two or level three judges not a lot of 40k judges that have really cut their teeth um i can i can name like a handful and that's it and uh these these are people who would absolutely for sure if if they were if we were to come up with a DCI level you know thing, they would immediately meet the qualifications for level two and level three forty k DCI judges if they were to apply. But that's a small amount, and I don't think there's a lot of level one judges. I don't think there's a lot of people who actively want to try and be a forty k judge because there's nothing. There's no there's no way to be a part of that. There's no way to learn how to be a forty k judge. You kind of just have to attach yourself to a frontline gaming event or uh, run an event yourself uh, but then you're dealing with all sorts of other issues like toing terrain all of that stuff too so because of that i feel like there's less people in the community who actively enforce the code of conduct and brainstorm ideas about what the directions the community wants to go because i don't think that we should copy magic verbatim but we should definitely look at what they do as a template for what we want and improve from there and a lot of people want to become 40k content creators a lot of people want to become 40k painters but not a lot of people want to become 40k judges and that's probably because we haven't as a community put the resources necessary into making that a thing no it's honestly a thankless task yes oh yeah yeah, we don't we don't pay our our LVO judges enough money. Oh, and definitely. I, as, a, as an organizer, even you know, like if you organize an event, you end up being a lot of the time the judge, the organizer, the mm-hmm. executioner, right? Like it's it's you sort of have to put on a lot of hats. And even like a, at a big event, you know, you still have you know 
Reese and Frankie, especially when they started out, like literally running around like chickens with a head cuts off, being like, we have to do everything, right? So it's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Go ahead, Kelsey. That, um, that's definitely true. Plus, you know, you can be right every single time except for once. And that one time is going to be what everyone's going to judge you on. Like, oh, man, yeah, that one T.O. is cool, but he told me that I couldn't do this that one time, and obviously I can. And that's what they're going to remember you as. And so even more so, it's a really thankless job. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, (laughs) uh, So I I don't want to go to the caveat obvious argument of 40K has a much looser rules set than magic which is technically true magic does have a gigantic you know well documented rule set that you know there's procedures and all this crazy stuff i get it like it but i don't think 40k is so far removed from that that we can't have you know a little bit of what magic does and use it to improve our community i think the 40k rules are solid i think the code of conduct is really solid I think the only thing really holding 40k back is imprecise measurement and the human factor, which magic kind of does have too, right? There's like, like with shuffling, for instance, like there's no like perfect way to shuffle and there's technically nothing stopping like a professional card magician poker player from going in there and just like cleaning house technically, you know, so it's like both, both systems are imperfect, but they're with, for what they want to accomplish, they're great. So we just need more of that from 40k. Now, Kelsey, for uh, another thing I've always really liked about um, Magic judges that 40k judges don't have is Magic judges uh, have they they are the are essentially the tos right and and everyone knows they are the tos. They even have judge shirts. You can find them. You can call them out. And on top of that, Magic players go to their judges all the time. There's like judge is just like something you hear non-stop but in the 40k 40k community there's the the mentality is very different and i feel like that is that is something that we also need to hit as a hurdle do you do you agree with me there do you, do you kind of sense where I'm, what i'm laying down yeah 100 in fact i made notes and i wrote that down saying that how incredibly comfortable um magic players are to call judges it's it's kind of a meme among my friends that i would like, be trying to call my friend like hey stefan stefan and he wouldn't turn around and be like judge and he would immediately turn around like yes and i'm like <laughs> uh-huh of course yes but people call him for any little thing and, if, and it's something that's brought up at the beginning of the tournament that the judge is your friend if you have any questions whatsoever just call and it doesn't matter um they can't help you but they will answer any questions including um at like the oracle text uh which is kind of like uh getting out their rule book and saying this is exactly what the rule book says on your your model this is what it does this is what that rule is so you can ask them for any little thing and they're more than more more than happy to get you whatever information you need but not coaching Yeah, I, yeah. I love and, that actually. I like yeah. I haven't personally ever been to a magic event, so that's not something that I can like relate to, but I can definitely relate to the feeling of a 40k player being like, I don't want to be the the jerk that calls the judge." You know what I mean? Like that sort of like feeling that sometimes you get. You know, and I feel like that is definitely like a stigma within the 40k community of like the the weight 
of calling, say, a judge or a ref over, right? I guess there's like two different ways of looking at it as well. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And that I, I, how many times after at the after um, tournament dinner has someone gone? Oh man, you know what? That guy totally cheated. He did this one thing, and he can't do that. Like, oh, I can't believe I didn't call it in the mean in the when when it was happening, or oh man, I knew he was doing it. I I knew I just couldn't I couldn't call the judge. I didn't want to make a big scene of it, and it happens like way too often. Yeah, that's getting oh, yeah. into the whole side of we're mostly a bunch of introverted nerds who don't like confrontation but in those situations you do need to be able to raise your hand and say hey i don't think this is okay let's find out from a judge if that's how it works um and removing the stigma from judges so it's not really i'm calling the judge because i'm being aggressive and trying to win one over on you it's i'm calling the judge because i'm legitimately confused and i want to have someone who's the supposed expert especially someone who's a certain level of certification and it's their job to do this, come over and make sure that we're playing correctly. That yeah. would be a lot easier to, to handle a, a confrontational situation like that. Otherwise, it's just, well, I think it's this way. Well, I think it's that way. Well, there's no judge here, so I guess we're just going to yell at each other for 15 minutes. No, no, the, the classic, the classic, just roll off. Yeah, that doesn't. It's not a good, consistent way to resolve things. It's, it's good for speed, but we're trying to mature the way events are handled, and that was a good start, but we can do better. All right. Um, I think this is a really good segue into the next part of the topic. So we talked about kind of like a broad idea of what the DCI is, magic judges, and what kind of like 40k judges, how how they would look in there. Now... Uh, let's talk about punishment. Let's talk about uh, what we can do as a community and what magic does as a DCI community to enforce their rules. Now I'm going to come at you with a bit of a hot take. And that is basically, I don't think TJ would have been, that situation wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have had the hammer hum down on him as, as much as it did. If his opponent had called foul right when he saw it, code of conduct issued, red flag you're out you lose the event i think I, th I think if that happens i think that the community doesn't raise a big stink about it i think the community is like okay justice was was dealt he was red carded uh which means he was removed from the event he never got the score boom code of conduct was resolved but that didn't happen what happened was his opponent didn't catch it he there wasn't active judging on his table the mob the the community got it a hold of it and i think different punishment than what we've normally seen was issued now whether it was right and leveled and justified um i think so but the point i'm trying to make here isn't that justice was served cool congratulations it's that it it i would have been inconsistent depending on what happened in the event itself and that is something i don't like that is something that I think we as a community need to address. We need to be consistent. We need to decide, okay, if this happens, regardless if you get caught or not, you're going this you're going to this is going to happen. X, 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 and X. Moving on. Done. No matter who catches it, no matter who does it. And you know, um I, I think that's important. That's go, go interesting, ahead, Pablo, because what I was hearing, and maybe I heard wrong, from the beginning of the episode was we approve of the ITC points being stopped and zeroed out for this season as an appropriate response to what occurred. 
And yes, I think what we were discussing and I want to point out is that we're trying to move to a tiered system where the more competitive the game is, the more competitive the event is, the higher the stakes are, the, the more judges are going to pay attention. So you're going to have these higher level judges and the bigger the consequences are. But now you're coming back and saying maybe the consequences were not consistent or help me resolve that. So, so, so basically what I'm saying is that the, the consequences that from the outcome of, of what he did was leveled and appropriate. He, he, the issue he was given, I'm totally, totally okay with that. However, if you were to, if you were to take a snapshot in time before the ITC issued anything at all, you were to say, okay, look, this thing happened, Brandon. Can you guess what the ITC is going to do? And you would not be able to guess that. No. Because you, you wouldn't know. There's no piece of like, paper that would tell you. 2017, like, 2018? Oh, he... Absolutely, I wouldn't have been able to tell. Right. Even even the, even the 2021, even the day before it happened, if you were to tell someone, hey, this person cheated, the ITC is going to come down on them. What do you think is going to happen? People would people would give different responses. I guarantee you. People would be like, oh, he's banned for a year. Oh, he's his zero points just for the score. Oh, slap on the wrist. Red card you know etc cetera, etc cetera. no one would no one would have been able to tell you exactly what would happen to him now in magic there there's still some gray areas however in general there is a process that you go through you and especially um now i think they're they're magic organized playing is a very weird spot right now however I'm going to go back to uh, kind of like when this was a big deal in Magic when they issued these kind of things regularly and there's there a lot of confusion, you know, about over why the... Anyways, um, there were some regularities in, why, in consistencies and in how they issued people. Basically, you would get a one-year ban after a certain point, after a certain amount of infractions, depending on your rule enforcement level of the event that you cheated in or the event you caused the infraction in. And they had a very clear, you know, a very clear... Uh, way to go you'd go from tier to tier to tier to band for a year and then there was some extra stuff there was one problem player kept coming back who they had the band for life and then that's when they added another tier to that they gave themselves the flexibility to say look this guy he keeps coming back year after year getting caught getting kicked cheating people cheating on camera we're just going to ban him forever he's he is clearly a bad apple 40k doesn't have that doesn't have anything like that at all Cheaters are not treated the same, not depending on who they are, but simply the circum- by, decided by the circumstances in which they are caught. And I think that that should change. I think that whatever punishment we decide to give out, it should be consistent and leveled. A judge should be able to look at a piece of paper and say, okay, you cheated this amount of times or you cheated and this is the way you cheated. And because of that, this is the appropriate response boom, 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 done, moving on. And the reason why I want that to be so clean and clear is because it, in my opinion, prevents witch hunting from the mob. You stop giving people their opinion you st- and um, guessing what's going to happen to this person and everyone knows what's going to happen. There's no, it's like the, the Joker quote. They're like something- There's something no surprise. Happens. Yeah, yeah. If something happens that everyone expects, like no one bats an eye, but it, all of a sudden something weird yeah. happens. Everyone goes crazy. It's if 20 soldiers get blown up, no one bats an eye. But if 20 people get blown up in a bus, everyone loses their mind. Yeah, exactly. And and so that's that's what I want. That's why I want that consistency. 
Um, so that's that's it. That's the rant over. Um, <laughs> but I think that's all a fair point. So you can you can have both opinions. You can say I think in this case what happened was appropriate, and you can also say. However, no one could have predicted this would happen, and we need to lay out expectations for the future so that everyone knows what to expect. And I agree with that, Brendan. And the key here is, where does one begin? Right? Like, where, where does like, a whole community of players and gamers and, and you know, everybody in the, the tournament community, the competitive, even, even in like, your local non-competitive like, you know, group, in, in your local game store or whatever where where do you start like how does something like this turn into a movement or like an expectation or something that becomes normal that is a really good question so and kelsey and brandon please feel free to chime in here because i'm definitely going to i'm definitely just going to talk for a little bit um because that's a really good question but basically i think it starts with using what the resources you have as a community already so in this case our judges um we have a small semblance of this already of the dci um in 40k and that's in the lvo judge staff so the lvo judge staff works year round to get rules right talk about rules talk about faqs talk about conduct player conduct things that they want to do judges that they want to hire like judge apprentices so to speak people who they're looking at to bring on to future lvos it's it's all there right and the judge staff when they come to the lvo they're very professional they know how to deal with very specific things they have systems in place and they know that frontline gaming will back them up with any decisions they make so we have that we have uh we have the the inkling of of what of what could be like a 40k judge program or 40k judges established judges that can go out and enforce these rules go ahead kelsey it's um it just seems like if gw isn't going to be the ones to set all this up because you know wizards is the one who sets all this up for magic i guess it would fall into the hands of the independent tournament oh i guess not not independent tournament circuit but i guess it'd be into the uh, tournament organizers and as a whole as a community to band together and make uh, make it make this judge program um because i don't know if anyone else is gonna yeah i think that everything you're describing requires infrastructure and money so you need people that can independently certify judges to a level and you need people to pay the judges salaries when they get to the higher levels so that they can go out to these events and especially if the events are all over the world uh, you need to train judges locally so they don't have to fly on a plane just to get to every event. And that all sounds expensive. So there has to be a financial incentive from someone to turn this from a game where it's like, well, this is for fun, into, well, we want to make this higher stakes. We want this to go to the next level. A thing that could hold us back is the perception that players who are successful are getting away with behavior at the table that they shouldn't. Yes. I want to uh, bring up the ETC, WTC for a second. Okay. I feel like, you know, there's been, there is precedent for the development of a sort of like judge slash refereeing organization with like Neil Kerr and sort of like the, or, the judging staff or like 
you know, essentially refereeing stuff that he developed or helped develop for the ETC, now WTC, where before, you know, there, there was a problem with competitive playing at the worldwide stage. And it was almost like meme-like in that sense, where like the behavior of some of these players was almost comical. It was so bad in some situations. And anybody who like historically heard stories about the WTC or the ETC would know what these are, right? And, you know, it came to the point where there was like that level of personal, personal like investment in that sense. You know, putting a team together, talking, generating like discourse and chatting about it to the point now where it's years later and there is a clear change in sort of like the mentality as well as the expectations of players at the WTC, you know, where like there are very clear and and sort of like expected, you know, behavioral, like you're expected to behave in a certain way or just not be able to participate at the at the world stage if that makes sense, you know, um, with your choices having direct repercussions if you if you decide to cheat. Now, and I think that it is definitely a process that has taken a lot longer than it necessarily would need to, simply because of the fact that there is no sort of like financial institution that's sort of like backing the work, if that, you know what I mean? It's, it's all sort of like out of pocket and, and that sort of thing. And yeah, like, the world is not free. Things run on money and you need the plane tickets and you need that stuff. And it's great that Wizards of the Coast does that for their sort of like tournament circuit and what they do for their players. But we're not at that stage, right? And I feel like one of the first things that needs to be done is I think we need to sort of define everything very clearly, put up the levels of sort of like expectations and punishment for varying degrees of you know misappropriation of rules or whatever we want to call it and uh, and then kind of from there go into more of a okay so now we have a clear guideline or a clear set of rules now we need somebody to enforce it right do we make it the to's issue if you want to be on the to group do you need to like pass a quiz and understand the rules you know and then from there like like brainstorming and getting it put into place and this is not something that's going to happen overnight this is a process that will take time yeah yeah i and and um to piggyback on on what you said scar i think even taking it further than that i think what we really need is an independent council of people to decide the direction that we want to go i i think to to get started on this i think the the two steps are the first step is we need to incentivize people to take on the role of judge in our community. So that would be like every RTT. I know every RTT has this person, but basically every RTT should go to the person who cares more about playing the game correctly. Maybe not necessarily winning, but you know, they're like, they're more likely to like sit back, watch games played, let the TO know like, hey, this person is playing under the table or this person made a rules wrong maybe they'll call judge every 10 seconds you need to find that person and need to tell them hey you can be a 40k judge here's how bam 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 so i think we need to establish the fact that for you know 40k judge can be a role in our community just like hobbyists just like content creator just like to and then the second thing is we need to give them uh, a governing body we need to give them a council 
And then from there, I think everything will just kind of fall into place. Like you said, Skari, we can start establishing the systems in place that we need to punish players and we need to incentivize players to play well. I think that's personally, I think that's the first step, but yeah, but all those are great ideas. What about the first step being um, the levels of certification for judges and guidelines for having, okay, your event is a GT. You need this level of certification of judge present or not need, but it's recommended. Also, uh, codes of conduct updates for each level of play. So if you're playing an RTT versus a GT versus a major, um, when should I expect that takebacks are acceptable? When should I expect dice trays to be needed or chess clocks or chess clock behavior to be enforced at certain events? Like in many events, chess clocks are totally optional. And if the players bring one, great. If they don't, well, sorry, we're not providing one. So having guidelines on for that, for that level of competitiveness would be great. Because if it's just an RTT and you win a box of five Primaris Marines for winning, Maybe you don't need the same rules enforcement that you do, like you said, for LVO when it's the ITC championship that's on the line. That's a really good question. Um, So I'm going to take it away and then I think Kelsey can finish it for me here. But basically, um, Magic already does a really good job of handling this in that they assign rules enforcement levels to an event not based off of the event itself, but also where you place in the event. So for instance, at a Magic Fest or a Grand Prix, that's an open style event. It's like an LVO, right? And obviously people aren't going, people are going not expecting to win because there's like, you know, 2000 Magic players or something, right? So obviously some of them are just going in there to 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 have fun or to maybe get a chance to win or maybe their buddies entered and they've got nothing better to do or whatever reason. So what Magic does is day one of this a magic fest is grand prix they assign it rule event enforcement level uh competitive right and then competitive is everything but like not quite as crazy as professional so the tiers are like casual competitive professional i think there's another tier in there um kelsey's probably biting at the bit trying to correct me here but basically when you make day two so essentially if you go like 13 and 0 uh at the one of these magic fests large open events if you make day two they up the level from competitive to professional this is a professional level event you you need to conduct yourself professionally you will be don't cheat you will be absolutely be punished and and there's there's a whole other strict enforcement level we could do the same thing for 40k uh go ahead kelsey um, yeah, that's accurate. And um, it's a regular. It's just regular, competitive, and professional. Um, the oh, one nice thing, but um, the one nice thing about all of this is that you can go to a magic tournament anywhere in the world. You don't even have to speak the language of the place that you're at, and you will know. Like, you know what you signed up for. You can walk up. You can play the games. You don't have without speaking, <laughs> and you know the expectations. You know everything. It's not like how some. Sometimes with Warhammer, you're like, okay, well, I need to get the TOs thing. Then they might have their own special rules. And then we have, you know, there's anything. Oh, I don't know how they're going to rule this one thing. Okay, well, let me go ahead and email the TO to make sure that this is what it is. Because my army's kind of based around it. But that doesn't happen in Magic. Like, every everything's known. And in fact, they I'm sure that they already have a, like, a, not like a chat room for all the judges to discuss things like that. And they, it's already a known quantity before the tournament even happens, before 
like when the set first gets um, announced and all these rules, the judges are all in the chat going, hey, did anyone think about this interaction? Oh man, yeah, so how would that work out? And then the higher level judges will come down and go, okay guys, this is how it's gonna work out. This is what happens. And I think that kind of consistency in judging would go a long way in 40K, being able to just, oh, I'm gonna go on vacation. Let me go pack up my mini my minis and I'm just gonna go play a tournament because I know exactly what I'm signed up for. I know exactly what's gonna happen. That's actually why the ITC was born uh, originally. Um, essentially, before the ITC, every region you went to to play a tournament in 40k had like completely different rules and completely different everything, really. It, it was, um, you, you might go to a tournament on the West Coast and play 2,000 points using GW missions and then go to the East Coast and all of a sudden you're playing 1,750 points and like comp. Or something silly, right? So, like that, not not the saying comp is silly, but something that you're not used to. Uh, and then the ITC kind of stepped in, made a, kind of the goal of the ITC was to make the standard format. But it's the same thing, like Magic. It, it's consistently, like you said, someone who who there could be a significant language barrier, and they understand what's going on. They can go to a, a Magic tournament, and the rules will protect them from unfair play. To an extent, obviously, it's, they're not perfect, but the rules are there to help enforce and protect them and their the integrity of the game. That's all great. I mean, I'll give an example in 40k. I think that the LVO finals for the past few years have been some of the best run, let's call it professional 40k that I've seen. Dice are provided, there's dice trays, everything's recorded, the best judges available are on hand at all times, chess clocks are enforced. Everything is at the level it needs to be to ensure that the professional play at the finals is where it needs to be. So if ITC, for example, were able to write out procedures on how to do that and recommendations for different event sizes, that'd be great. Because I think that if more events ran similar finals or, you know, okay, it's the sixth game of our GT, let's ensure that the people who are still undefeated or with a draw have this level of scrutiny and it's all explained ahead of time what that's going to be. That's going to be fantastic because everyone will show up and have that expectation already laid out. At least that's a baby step in the right direction because you don't actually need tiered judges or paid judges or anything to do that is to just write out, hey, if you're running this event, this is what we highly recommend you do. And then if everyone starts following that, which I think most events have been pretty good about following ITC recommendations when they feel they make sense, that would help make everything more consistent. So if you go to an event in New Jersey or you go to an event in California, it's going to have the same setup for the finals if it's a big enough event. Yes. I think the the ITC has done really well with that already, kind of setting up like what an RTT is, what a GT is, you know, that sort of thing, and like what a super major and what a major is. So you you kind of get an idea of what you're walking into right off the bat, and I think that that sort of thing has been very positive and very healthy for the game at a worldwide level. Now it's just about taking it to that next step, right? Like and and really kind of building in those expectations for judging and things like that which i think would be really really good yeah is it going to be the top 16 need chess clocks is it going to be the top four when are dice trays going to be out what if people don't have recording equipment those are some questions that would be really nice to have answered 
and play tested so we do what makes sense for the community while remaining as consistent as possible. 100%. So if you have any ideas, make sure you email them to ariciolovestau at gmail.com. <laughs> Amazing. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that, I think that's a really great point. Another thing I really love about judge uh, getting more sanctioned judges or getting more career judges or whatever you want to call them, judges for 40K, is that when you look at like a professionally streamed magic event, which is what we're trying to do, we're trying to take competitive 40K to a more professional looking level so that someone entering the game is can feel even more safe in their investment, right? Or that an investor uh, sponsor can feel comfortable knowing that there is a professional sanctioned body that will will step in and, and keep up the integrity, right? Um, for the bottom line or whatever, because business. The point is, is that uh, Magic streamed event, you have multiple judges there and each of them have different rules. For Magic event, you'll have one person and all they're doing is writing a play-by-play. That is, that is it. That's all they're doing. And then you've got another person, usually their arms are crossed and they look really bored or stressed. That's the level two judge assigned to specifically watching the finals for this event. They're just sitting there and they're just watching for shady stuff. If it's a really big event, there's two of them. So you have one judge typing a play-by-play. You have another two, one or two judges watching the game. And then you have other judges around facilitating everything else. They're managing the audience sitting there watching there. They're making sure the players have a comfortable play space. They're looking and analyzing deck lists for another event. Like it's, it's a basically a group of judges all working together around this one spot. Whereas if you looked at like the, the event that happened that kind of sparked this episode, there, there wasn't a lot. There was commentators and there was Twitch there, but the Twitch streams were essentially the Twitch stream was essentially the judges. And no offense to the Twitch people watching, but they they're not certified judges. They're they don't have the qualifications. They don't have the training necessarily. They don't know what to do. Their instinct is to point out flaws and and rah blood, which is great. That that's you know they catch cheaters. They do catch cheaters, but that's not professional. Go ahead, Kelsey. Oh, one more thing is that. In Magic, if you're watching a game and you see something happening, you can call a judge, if you, even if you're not part of that game, on the game at hand. You can actually, if you're watching a game and say, oh, right, you can't do that. You can go, okay, let me go get a judge, come back and say, hey, by the way, hey, that guy did that. Because it's to protect, I guess, the integrity of the game. And I don't think that's something that's universal in Warhammer, that if, on 40k, that if something's... If someone's breaking the the rules and the spectators don't really like interfere, but that's something that happens in Magic. In fact, in um one of the I think one of the pro tours, the um the Twitch chat actually caught something that the judges didn't, <laughs> and like the commentators said, "Oh yeah, we should probably let them know." <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. There's th- that hap- that kind of stuff does happen in Magic a lot, right? Uh, in 40k, it's. So, like, there is a stigma involved with this, right? And I'm sure Scar and Brandon have probably seen this or had it happen to them, where you have people who watch and then start kind of, like, backseat gaming and, like, calling out stuff. And it it is tough, right? Because in in 40k and in Magic, the two people who know the most about the game state are the two players. That's why when a judge, a 40k judge or a Magic judge, comes to a table, they ask the players what's ha- what's going on what's happened show me your rules they don't ask bystanders they don't they, they ask the players first because the players know what's going on because they've been paying attention to this game the entire time so i would be hesitant to adopt something like that 
for 40k because 40k the game state is so difficult to understand from watching it like for magic you can kind of tell like just by counting the number of cards in people's hands and the graveyards and stuff you can kind of tell what turn it is you can kind of tell like roughly what happened in the game um obviously if it's like a 50 turn you know control mirror matchup you're not going to know what's going on at all but generally most magic games especially at that level they, they happen they happen quickly and you you can kind of watch what's going on with 40k the minute both players deploy and move their models I have no idea what phase it is, what turn, you know. That's right. I need more for like, um, just like blatant kind of stuff. Like if someone's like, "Oh, I'm gonna shoot my shooting ca- like cannon," and it has a range of twenty four, but the person's shooting at thirty six, and the the person watching is like, "Oh, yeah, you can't do that." Or like, "Oh, hey, they picked up a three. Like, okay, well, that person, you know, just letting the teal know, like, "Hey, man, that guy's picking up dice that they shouldn't be." No, a really that's, common that's, one that's is forgetting one. modifiers. Yeah, that or, um, you know, it could be a variety of things. And more and more, actually, at events that I've been going to, they are, like, at least in our region before, you know, the play kit, it was, like, cold, like making sure that the rules were happening and more that active style judging was very much something that was starting to become a, the norm. Right where you know you if you're a a judge or like a referee walking around, you notice something on the table. You didn't have to wait for somebody to to say, "I need to judge this table." Like you would physically intervene, right, and be like, "No, you're just you're forgetting this, or that's not. It doesn't hit on Tuesday. It's on threes or whatever it is." Um, I think it's important to understand that that's not a bad thing. It might f- like feel a little weird if you're a player and like. You know, you're like, ah, I don't want the judge to interfere. But, you know, a lot of the times that perspective or whatever is what you need to make sure that the game is being played on, like, on the level. Yeah, I I, I guess um, I am a bit sour to this. So my first, like, my fourth game of playing 40K, um, I went to a doubles tournament with a friend. And uh, basically the people we're playing against kind of, like, bullied me into playing my Thunderfire Cannon wrong. And they they kind of like called me a cheater. They're like, "Oh, you play magic. You're, you know, like, don't be one of those guys." And so, anyways, I do have a different perspective. When I walk through a tournament and stuff, I try my best to just not look at any games and just kind of like, well, I watch the games. But I try not to like be a, you know, an active participant in any of the games. That's always just been kind of my yeah. You don't want to accidentally help someone you're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah, like. But, you know, then this is actually where the code of conduct really comes in handy, right? The code of conduct actually covers this. And that's when you're active judging or what active judging is, is is essentially you call out when things in the core rules go wrong. So so not when it comes to faction stuff or like like anything like that, but, but the actual core rules of the game, dice rules, measuring, movement, all that stuff. When those get cheated or when those get called into question, you can absolutely active judge then and call them out so if someone is using something with the fly keyword incorrectly or if they're using a yardstick instead of measuring tape i don't know just whatever if they're breaking the core rules of the game and it's it's very apparent active judging in the code of conduct dictates that you can immediately go in there and fix it yeah, which, sure. which is pretty cool sure there's a fine line between outside influence and you know outside i guess like um judging I think it'd be something like, oh, like, not no game being like, don't forget that you have a special rule, you know, like, you know, it, 
like that sort of thing versus you know you move five inches not six inches yeah you guys aren't even mentioning latent stuff like oh that has uh seven wounds left not six because that sort of thing still seems like it happens now and then and um Usually the person who is having it happen to is not going to notice it happen. But that's where it's like, okay, if the game's being recorded, you can go back and be like, yeah, that used to be six. Why is it seven now? But that's the sort of stuff that, I don't know. What I'm trying to get at is when you're getting to the higher competitive levels of the game, like let's call it the pro level, like we're doing for Magic, it would be really nice if the table was being watched, maybe by a camera, maybe by a judge, so that that sort of behavior is absolutely not tolerated. Because in my experience, it is something that has happened to me in the past, uh, where I had a friend watching a game and afterwards he went, yeah, that, that guy kept putting wounds back on his character. He definitely should have killed it. And he, he moved the die. I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't even see it happen. Yeah, having a standard on things that you're responsible for, kind of like in Magic, like you're responsible for your own triggers and stuff would be good for Warhammer. Also, having a standard for either counting down or counting up wounds. Because <laughs> I've had yeah. I've yeah. had people do, like, oh, counting down. Oh, and they, this magically starts counting back up. Like, oh, that's weird. How does that work? Yeah, and counting in such a way that's not easily obfuscated. So, for example, removing tokens from a jar or something, where if you put a token back in, it's going to make a loud sound. Yeah, and, and I actually really like that you brought that up because the the there are standard operating procedures in Magic that players go through to protect themselves, right? Like it's it's not a written rule, but you should generally have a writing pad when keeping your life total score, or like a uh uh one of those the the otter pad, whatever those pads are, the digital pads. But basically, that's because if you use your life to keep a uh your your life score, that can get knocked over or easily manipulated but if you and your opponent are both recording your life totals it's more accurate and you're protecting each other from cheating um there's also other stuff too like you can't use specific kinds of sleeves in in like a magic setting you can't touch your deck after a certain amount of times like there's procedures for even mistakes like if you accidentally reveal a card or more cards than you should by accident due to a card effect there are mistakes in there too 40k doesn't have any of that. Like if if your demon prince gets knocked over by someone bumping the table, there there is no standard operating procedure for that, right? There's there's no standard operating procedure for like if a model if a model all of a sudden loses its it's it gets broken and you have to play with its base or something. I don't know. There's random stuff in 40k. Nothing is standardized. Um oh Kelsey, the best example gave the best example with the wound trackers. Generally it's the to protect yourself there you have to say okay i'm counting up and then you stay consistent but sometimes you know your opponent counts down and then you count up and then they're using like 2d6s for their lives and you're using d10s and there's all sorts of stuff going on and a standard a standard procedure for for playing 40k competitively with integrity definitely would help us out a lot. So well, for example, that the WTC there is a you must count down standard. For ooh, example. That's well, handy. like there that's like in the pack, right? So that's definitely something that's out there and there's a precedent for, like in competitive forty K. But yeah, I agree. Like I personally am one of those monsters that counts, you know, how many wounds I've taken. 
but uh, you know, I know a lot of people like count. I have to do it the opposite way when I'm playing like WTC events, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Scary. Now, I, I'm so glad you brought up the WTC because I feel like the two things that there are kind of shining examples for paving the way to the future of of you know fixing this in 40k is the wtc and the lvo judge staff and it's so cool that they got together and created the code of conduct for us because that was the best thing to happen i think we'd actually be as a community farther ahead if it wasn't for you know all the events getting shut it down for a year right i feel like as a community we'll have we would have actually have established some of this stuff already now what are some other stuff that you like about the wtc and the way the wtc works that you think the general 40k community could possibly uh, learn from there there well first of all if you haven't already gone to the wtc and read like the code of conduct or so like the player packs do it especially if you're a to and you want some inspiration or you're trying to or you would like to help this whole process to to make it more concrete and more like substantial go read that Go read it. it. There's a lot of thought that Neil and the crew have been putting into this this document for many years. Some a couple of things that I really do like is that you know number one you're encouraged to call a judge. You're encouraged to to bring a like a referee to the table because it makes talking about an issue a lot easier when it's while it's happening instead of like after the game or two rounds down or whatever it is. So that's like the one thing it's encouraged. Secondly, you can like you get pen- like it's very clear what you get penalized on. And something else I like is that there's like active investigation that happens on like say tense situations or sportsmanship issues on the spot. They don't shy away from it. It's very like it's it's impartial it's you know the and and i love how the like they're the fact that neil sort of like helps train all the all the judge staff and they try and keep them at like a very high standard for the whole event and I, this might be controversial but i like the fact that if you're if you do some shit and like you get a yellow card that's that thing follows you for like years you know what i mean like it's documented and if if it's a recurring issue, like that's something that you know it gets tracked. So you, like problem people get flagged and will get booted or red carded, right? If it's a recurring issue, and that I think is something that is very important at a like a competitive sports event. Yeah, in football or, or soccer uh, for Americans, they they do that as well. Yellow cards will carry over into the next game, and obviously, you know, if you have if you have multiple yellow cards, you get red card, you get kicked out of the game, and that could cost your team the win. Um, I I like that. Uh, I think that that we still have some growing there in terms of standardization for what exactly a yellow card or a red card means. I think a red card is pretty universal. Like if you get red card, you're like, okay, you were kicked out of the event. Yeah, you're this. kicked out of the event and it's as if you never attended the event. Yeah. But for a yellow card there's some gray areas and then also of course there's the long term impact of receiving multiple yellow cards and multiple red cards. And we don't have anything that that tracks that and we also don't have anything any like standard 
for for what that means um in terms yeah. of the overarching community combined with did you start. earn your red card at the zero and six table or did you earn it at the eight and oh table that's another good point right like do you at, at rule enforcement level you know uh regular uh excuse me not casual well, if, you, um, if you get a yellow card <laughs> sorry to interrupt if you get a yellow card at like like the lowest table and you're supposed to be in like the thumb bracket like why are you arguing about rules you know what i mean like <laughs> at table 200 at the lvo or some shit right like honestly but Th- you know, so maybe funny. maybe like you know maybe it's more like okay you get a yellow card or like a red card at that point like nobody gives a shit but if you like get a yellow card like top 10 or whatever then yeah maybe it should there should be a database or a log or something to be like you know, but that's where the certification comes into play because if you're going to be keeping people's names and stuff, you have to be very careful with like privacy laws and then there's a yeah. bunch of stuff. You know what I mean? So it becomes like a whole like, and you might be sitting there listening to the podcast, being like, "Yeah, just just have a list and publish it and nail it to the door of the chapel," you know, like that sort of thing. Um, but you know, it's definitely like it's a lot more complicated than simply just yeah. recording names. Yeah, we we don't even have like an ITC membership. Like, there's you just you use your BCP account, and that's kind of like you know, like a baby membership. Like, it doesn't it doesn't really do anything. So I agree with you, Scary, a hundred percent. All right, uh, we're kind of coming up to the twilight of this topic. Also, we're coming on a little longer, and we do have a ton of patron questions to get through. The patron questions are all very good yeah. for this episode. The patrons came out in force. This is a topic that is very topical that people want to talk about. To summarize, Pablo, though, I think that we have a lot more to discuss about different rule enforcement levels for competitive, professional, casual judges actually being a career choice almost in terms of you have to be certified to a certain level. Maybe the higher levels are compensated more and also giving guidelines for events on those enforcement levels and then finally changing the code of conduct once we have in different enforcement levels so that what you said in the beginning doesn't happen again where it's like who knows what's going to happen to tj and then maybe this makes sense and we want to continue doing this but in the future the next time something like this happens everyone should say oh yeah that's exactly what's going to happen very succinct Great job. Uh, go ahead, Kelsey. Uh, um, just saying that these judges will not be uh, employees. Because <laughs> that's that's what happened to Wizards. They had a whole big kerfuffle with that. They are not paid. They are given things, but they are not paid. <laughs> yeah, but they, they work like... Yeah, it's... Yeah, the, the whole magic thing with the getting paid judges, um, basically, essentially, to... Uh, super super break it down and simplify it essentially what happened with dci magic judges is they were they're getting overworked you know they were working these like these events that were making generating tens and tens of thousands of dollars worth of revenue and getting paid in cardboard and like like it just it got to a certain point where some judges were made it a full-time job to schedule and plan these you know large thousand person events and weren't getting paid for it uh and so you know obviously that had the change and so they so this is not something we recommend for 40k is salaried judges yeah i mean i i think i think it so that that's why you get like that's why you have tier judges right it's like i wouldn't 
I wouldn't want to salary a level one judge. A level one judge should definitely be someone who volunteers, does it for the love of the game, but you don't expect much from a level one judge. The level one judge just kind of shows up. They can run a 15 person RTT for like a Saturday evening, which is totally fine. You know, they can go in there, they'll make, they don't have to stay there for the entire event. They can just stay for like the top eight, or they can just stay for, you know, one day of the LVO or half a day for the LVO. Like they're not expected. Yeah, but I, th- to... I think I'm hearing this then. We're not sure what a tier three judges and uh, compensation should be, yes. but it should be more than a tier one. Yes. A tier three judge in 40 K would be someone who, who TOs super majors or like the, like, salty john would definitely if he assumed a full-time role for judging absolutely would be deserving of a salary because he does a lot for us already from for the lvo you know like he he essentially gives up his entire weekend and the judges for the lvo are compensated so they they don't it's not something that you don't just give them like primaris marines and call it a day although lvo judges if you want to work for primaris space marines we'll we'll talk we'll (laughs) I'm joking. Please, <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, uh, people people should be paid fairly for sure. Um, but I think a level one judge probably doesn't need to do that. So I think I think we should define what a level is in a 40k judge, and then go from there. Go ahead, Kelsey. Yeah, I think uh, level ones should basically be paid um, according to what the TO or like the the, the store that is being held at. Like they, they're usually the ones that are like, okay, they throw them a couple packs. I guess the equivalent of like, like a box of models or something. Then when you get higher and higher, you get more stuff. But then for the for um the DCI, they give them promos and they're in boxes and stuff. So I guess like level twos, if GW were to step in, would be getting like a like a pariah box and like a cat a catch and kernel. But level threes should actually be getting a lot more stuff. Because you know they've and the level threes are basically managers. They manage all the lower level judges on top of that. Yeah, yeah, they're hit up on Facebook Messenger, on email. You know, they're taking phone calls about. They're they're dealing with you, you know venues that cost you know six digits to run. Like they're 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 contacting like the board of you know commerce, the chamber of commerce for like Las Vegas. You know, like level three judges have a lot to do. They're they're very 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 busy. All right, does. I think I think we're good there. I think we're going to move on to the patron questions because there's a lot of great questions that are also on topic as well in those patrons. So, if you're one of those listeners who doesn't like listening to the patron questions, thank you for listening. You were amazing. You're the best listener ever. However, we're going to jump into the patrons questions. So, what the patron questions are is at the end of every episode, we like to open the floor to the patrons of the podcast where they get to ask us questions that we answer live on the air on the podcast so if you're interested in that or if you'd just like to support chapter tactics help us keep the lights on help me feed my wonderful little red-eyed crocodile skink uh in the corner there seriously look google it red-eyed crocodile skinks are adorable but you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash chapter tactics just you know five dollars a month one starbucks a month you can support the podcast and get access to the discord the facebook page get cool raffle prizes uh whenever we can get raffle prizes uh right now gw is having a hard time giving us stuff so i've been very hesitant to get raffle prizes when gw is allocating us so extremely um like i was i was able to get my hands on that kill team prime nexus box but i haven't been able to get a lot anyways you can support the podcast we're going to jump right into the patron question starting with patron jason 
Should the penalty for getting caught cheating be harsh and open, or light and subtle? Hmm. I think as we d discussed here, it should vary based on the level of cheating. And and I think there's another important thing to like keep in mind, and I think Val really makes this point very effectively, and he's talked about it, um, is about changing it from just the nomenclature of just cheating, right, to like not playing within the rules, you know, like not following the rules, that sort of thing. You know, you know what I mean? Like instead of demonizing the person for cheating, making it like an infraction-based system based on not following the rules of the game. Intent matters. So sort of like, yeah, so taking away the sort of like the intent part of it, right? Where it's, you know, depending on how harsh the level of them not following the rules is, that's how harsh the um, the level of like infraction should be. And should it be public? I feel it should. I feel like if you're going to break the rules of the game on a consistent basis or in a public manner or in a in a way that benefits you where there was like, you know, it benefits you in, in an advantageous way to win by, over the over your opponent, I think yes, there should be not only consequences, but you should be held accountable. Plus that way you can um escalate it depending on how the severity of the of the infraction so if it's something really bad then you escalate it up to the itc having to do something but if it's like something on like a lower level like an rtt then it can be handled locally that'd be a good i would just say the the dividing line is if it's something that would literally never be okay like you're moving models that you shouldn't be or you're removing wound tokens that you shouldn't be that's clearly a much more severe penalty than i may have forgotten to apply the minus one penalty for smoke launchers for your rhino because i forgot that you declared it was smoke launchers yeah totally different consequences for different infractions makes total sense However, and I just want to add to this, however, you hadn't put a suitable token on your, like, vehicle to mark that it was, you know, smoked. Does that make sense? Like, we were talking about, like, having those things, you know, in that sense. So, yes, I get an infraction for that, but you, you also weren't making it easy on me to make sure that I was following the rules. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, like, the minimal, which is, oh, you just forgot and I'm going to correct you now, and we're going to move on, versus clearly exploiting the game in a way that it's never going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. So so I think where this line of thought comes from is that there's this kind of like boogeyman idea that you're going to have a, a bad apple or a bad actor cheater come to your local RTT or local GT, sour the experience for someone, and then kill your scene. That is a fear that I see echoed across TOs often. And I think it's I think it's valid to an extent. Um, I think that it's not something that you generally have to worry about as a TO, but it can happen, um, especially if you're a TO who's stretched thin and doesn't have like a judge staff or doesn't have the resources necessary to enforce that properly um in a perfect world every to would have the capabilities to handle anyone coming to their event and with the code of conduct 
deal with them authoritingly, author, uh, accordingly. Um, however, that's not the case. So I think that's where this stems from. Uh, I think to fix that, I don't like the public approach. Uh, I love what Wizards did recently. So essentially what Wizards had before was they had a, a public banned list, the DCI banned list, and they just it was just a list of names that were banned. Um, and there were some prominent people on there who would get banned and you'd be like, oh, whoa, like this person's banned on there. I just played this person or they're, you know, they top aided at a pro tour or something. But what they did is they moved away from that and they attached everyone's bans or everyone's uh, punishments to a wizard's account that you use to play Magic Arena. Now, I don't like that from a sense that it, it can be easily uh, tricked, right? Um, but I do love like what South Korea does for League of Legends, right? So the way South Korea works, um, in South Korea, when you play games on League of Legends or in servers, they attach your game profile to your social security number. So if you get banned your social security number gets banned and you're you're like you're gonna steal your grandmother's social security number to play like 40k like is that is that something you're gonna do i've always personally really loved that i understand that that's very hard line and that there's obviously like like dealing with international things and also dealing with like uh privacy and stuff i get that that's I get that you can't necessarily do that, but I do love the idea of something similar to that, something that ties uh, your name to a 40k account where all that gets handled privately. And it, there's some it sort of incentive. Folks. Pablo wants to inject a chip into you so he can track your every Oh, you movement. got me. The 40k Illuminati. So what the chip does, it releases a special hormone that makes you hate playing Tau. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I don't think Resio would be okay with what you're saying right yeah, now. No, That's some heresy. It's sort of like developed by Resio Industries, right? <laughs> so it's like the secret tech. But uh, I think that this is definitely what all the patrons want to know about, right? Right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Actually, I wonder if you could use the Mac address on your phone on the, on, through the app or something to to uh, track people like that. Like If you want to buy a new phone to play in a different uh, account... Yeah, that's tie, fine. Tie, yeah, tying it to phones. There's got to be a way to do it. I'm. There's companies that do it right now. I'm sure there's got to be a way to do it without you know requiring something like a social security number. But anyways, um, <clears throat> uh, next question comes from patron Tim. Who would be the best group to certify judges? Would we want GW to step up for this, or would we want an independent body? Well, it seems to me. Well, ideally, it would be GW. In my opinion, yeah, ideally, like ideally, the company that makes the game would sort of like stand behind the creation of some sort of organization. And they've, they have stepped up like with Mr. Mike Brandt, who's like, you know, kind of like the head TO for international events or whatever in that sense, like, or like cap that he wears for that. Um, however, that's definitely not the same as, you know, judge, right. Or judge body. That would also help with um, the compensation. That's how um, the judges in magic get paid visit promos. And also product, but yeah, it'd be kind of cool to have like a judge exclusive like succubus or a judge exclusive like um fire warrior or something. That'd be really cool. And if GW, it would take GW being involved in order to do that. But yeah, that'd be sweet. All right. Uh, next question comes from Patron John. How would you combat the aggressive and overly hostile response to people who have been found to be cheating? So this is a, a uh, I think this just comes back to privacy. This is a this is a tough one to answer publicly. Now the problem, Pablo, 
is when you have someone who's on a stream, it's impossible to keep them anonymous afterwards. Yes. And I think that's, yes. we're getting into, yeah, it's really nice to be someone who's notorious and people know who you are and they know you're a good player. But when this sort of thing happens, the reverse is also true. People are also going to know everything that you do that's wrong. And quite a few of those people are going to be very angry about it. And what those people do choose to do about it isn't always going to be the best call. They're going to make judgments that are poor. So there's a lot at stake for someone who is a good player, who's a competitive player, who's on stream all the time, getting caught at this, that is unavoidable. And I don't think that the ITC or Games Workshop can do anything about it. It's up to the community to be like, hey, look, the ITC's handling it, Games Workshop's handling it, they've meted out justice exactly the way they said they would, everything's fair, we don't need to do any extrajudicial activity to this person because they've... I'll use a phrase, done their time, justice has been served, we can all move on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, ha making that clear and that kind of transparency and, and making everything, keeping everything professional on the up and up, I think that would definitely help. I think another thing that would really help uh, specifically is for the players um, is really driving home the point of if you make the top eight at the LVO, your rule enforcement level, quote unquote, is professional. That this is what is expected of you. you you're probably going to be put on stream. <clears throat> you you should conduct yourself in a professional manner. These are the stakes. And um, for those of you who might say like, oh, that that's very unfair. You know, I'm just going to play 40k and have a good time. Like that's cool. But you know, I every time I I log onto the podcast and record this podcast and put it up, I'm putting myself at risk of all of the stuff that happens. Like I'm I'm putting myself out there. And, you know, like things happen. Like I, I've gotten like death threats before for, for saying some really silly things. I've said some really silly things that I absolutely deserved to be roasted online for because, you know, I'm not perfect. Uh, but I understand personally now what I what the consequences of what I say can happen. Right. And, and I understand that fully. And I still, you know, record the podcast every week or I try to. Um, and I'm aware I'm I won't be blindsided by by anything that happens, right? Because I because I know where I stand now. For a lot of these players, they don't have the the, the know how, or they don't have the uh, like. There's there's not a level of professionalism that goes with what they do. Now, uh, this isn't this doesn't excuse like uh, specifically in this instance. Uh, TJ does have like a coaching service. He was part of the Art of War. He's been on streams before, so I think he knew that you know it, what the consequences of his actions would be. And also, I think he knew that um, that he needed to handle it in a professional manner, which he did do. So I think I think just like instead of of necessarily controlling the mob, I think you should give the players the tools to handle this professionally right so if like if brandon grant were to go on stream uh and play a newer player brandon grant does a really good job of uh by the way if you ever get put on stream against the top player round one you want to play brandon grant 100 like it's you're going to be well taken care of you're probably going to lose but you're going to be well taken care of i think brandon i think you're 100 win rate playing players on stream round one at events and i think you've done it like more than a handful of times well, for some reason, you guys from the ITC like putting me on round one, so it keeps happening. 
that's fair. This it, what it is is Brandon is is first on the alphabet, so we just see Brandon Grant. We're like, oh, okay, he's just gonna. I'm joking. That's not how we decide it. But anyways, uh, I think the point you were trying to make is that even though I play very competitively, I'll definitely adjust the way I'm playing to a newer player to take extra special care that they're familiar with. Let's call it the quote unquote pro level of playing. And that I don't ruin their gaming experience, even as they're almost tabled. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but when when a player gets put on stream, I feel like we could do more things to let them know, hey, you're going on stream. It It's okay. Don't obviously be on your best behavior, but you're going to be on stream. This is what is expected of you. And if you do this, you're going to be okay. I think just saying something like that and just letting them know, hey, this is a professional thing. This is something that so something that like player have players sign at the beginning of the tournament. Um, I know Magic does something where uh, you you have to you can't be on the stream as a random unless you get put into a professional. Uh, um, REL. I think we're getting a little right, off topic, Kelsey? Pablo. Uh, what was the point you were trying to make about new newer players on stream? That that was the point I was trying to make was that instead of protect instead of um, necessarily to answer this question instead of necessarily curbing the mob and getting them to calm down it's uh helping people who will potentially get caught up by the mob and giving them the like the tools necessary to mentally prepare for something like that basically yeah we wouldn't want to scare away new players to think if they mess up at a table on stream then everyone's going to hate them and they're going to get death threats that's for sure yeah that's definitely not the case which is something we should probably tell them too but um anyways or just giving him the option. Like if, you, if you're not comfortable streaming, that's totally cool. We'll put someone else yep. in the, the hot seat. Yep. Although, it, you know, when you make, like, the top eight at the LVO, chances are if you're making the top eight at the LVO, you probably haven't been on stream. But we've definitely had people who have made the top eight at the LVO who have never been on stream before. Yes, but it's in your packet that says, if you make the top eight, you will be on exactly. stream. There is no option. So More so if they, if they get mic'd up, they definitely have to be on their best behavior. Uh, all right. Uh, next question comes from patron Nick. Now that it has been a while, how do you feel about the new game table size? Do you think it's here to stay? Yep, I think it's I fantastic. It. I I really, really, really like it. Not just because I play a very fast mobile army of doom. Seventy percent, yay! It's uh, but it's yeah. It's I think it makes movement really useful, but it also makes units that used to be almost unusable because of how slow they were. To be more relevant, makes it harder. Plus, it makes your um your terrain go further because the the board is smaller. Yeah, I love it. I I agree with you, Scary. Um. Okay. Uh, next question comes from Patron Alex. At one point, does someone's cheating uh become fine again? Meaning, uh, when they've served their term, or or should their record continue to follow them? So basically, uh, how long how long should someone someone's record carry along with them? Um, if they have cheated. That's actually, I think that's a great Scary question. I think that, to be honest, that's something that we have to decide as a community, right? Like, that's something that we just have to lay out in stone, right? Do I agree with cheating at a high level when you're a high-profile player to result in you not being able to accrue points or, you know, having your points round, like going to zero for, like, the games that you've played up to that point? Yes, I do agree with that. Do I 
you know, think that you should be banned from being able to get points? Yes, but for how long? Okay, well, let's have a discussion about it, right? Like, I do feel like there should be a chance for someone to show that they have changed. However, there should be a, like, a system put in place to make sure that, you know, you don't get that fool me twice, right? You know what I mean? That where you kind of can keep people accountable to what they say they want to do if they want to improve or get better or be a better person or whatever. And it should, we shouldn't just give them like a blank slate. Like they have to prove that they are willing to, to be better. Right. Um, but for how long? That's not a, that's not a question I can answer. No. If we're talking about ITC officially, then it makes sense if we want to adopt, adopt the code of conduct, if this ever becomes a thing where the more times you've offended, the more severe the penalties become. So maybe your ban is extended, or maybe your ITC points are not accrued for longer, whatever it is. But I think that the other answer to this is there's certain things that cannot be undone. And once something has happened, the people who continue to remember it are always going to treat you differently as a result. So unfortunately... When something like this happens, no matter what the person's intentions were, they're going to be treated differently forever as a result, no matter how well they do afterwards. And that is an unfortunate side effect of this. Yeah, and plus this is um, actually covered somewhat in um, the uh, FLG article today, the problematic path to redemption pretty well. Yeah, good plug, by the way, Kelsey. Good job. You're a natural... Yeah, I, I agree with all of you. Um, I think just to add on just a little bit is um, I really like the idea personally of timing it with the season. Um, and that's just because if you cheat for the season and you you get punished by removing the season, the start of every new season is essentially a clean slate. And I kind of like the like clean slate idea of like, okay, this this time you you messed up. You can't win the big prize that everyone's shooting for or any of the prizes. like you know don't do anything don't cheat but next season clean slate everyone gets reset back to zero you've lost all of your competitive advantage that you would have gained by cheating <clears throat> and now boom start over um i like something like that but obviously you know like for repeat offenders and stuff they increase but that would be like my gut reaction start my point pablo is if i'm playing someone who i know did something out of line you know i'm going to be different at the table than if they hadn't done that that's true that's true. That's fair. Um, <clears throat> okay, uh, the next two questions are kind of essentially the same question, and that's basically uh, how do you help compensate more people giving up more time to do harder jobs like judging without pricing events out of viability for a lot of people? So essentially what these both questions are is, in your opinions, what are the logistics behind hiring uh, judges for events um, or for officiating uh, to make them to make them cover more events and, and stuff like where logistically how do you see that working i think that comes into play with is gw going to get involved right or <laughs> are we going to have like a massive patreon drive for like a judging like school right or a judging thing you know so those are those are if we want to make it community driven awesome everybody the tens of thousands of players that play globally want to see that happen pledge five bucks to a patreon and then we can like get that shit off the road right or you can get something like i know a millionaire benefactor 
or something. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that you have to, like, it just depends on, you know, what happens outside of it. Sounds like a great question for yeah. John Weiermulder to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, you know, some of those guys, it depends on what they do or what you ask them ultimately. But I think something like a paid membership for the ITC or something like that, that also keeps track of your ITC points and like lets you customize your profile and do all this other cool stuff uh, so that it's not just a paid, paid membership, but you're paying for other stuff too. I think something like that is probably a good way to start by compensating them, um, but it definitely shouldn't come out of pocket for TOs. And raising ticket prices is dubious, right? So I think it has to be something that the community buys into. A patron, you know, another good example, but whatever it is, it has to be something the community does. Um, Unless GW decides to just come out of pocket, which I don't think will happen as much as I'd love them to. Next question comes from Patron John. How do you tell the people making honest mistakes due to nerves or fatigue from the people using that as a cover for their cheating? I think it would be how often they do it. If it's repeated, then it's uh, definitely something that... Then then it becomes cheating. Because if someone just happens to forget the rules all the time, but it's only in um, when it's in a detriment to them, then, you know, I guess they're probably not cheating. But if they happen to always forget the rules, specifically when it's um, a detriment to their opponent, then it's probably cheating. And if it happens repeatedly, then it's more likely to be cheating. I think it's also important at this point to emphasize the fact that what we're looking at is like a nomenclature for breaking the rules and what level, right, you're breaking the rules at. So the expectation is, yes, if you're a top eight at LVO, you made it there because you probably know a little bit about what you're doing, which means that, you know, you forgetting your rules is less likely to be a honest mistake, if that makes sense. Whereas, you know, if you are like low levels at an RTT and it's the final round and you forgot, you know, that your gun's 18 inches or it's strength five instead of strength three or whatever it is, right? Then it's a lot less, you know, impactful. Right. And plus, I think if you have, um, oh, yeah, I'll forget what I was going to say. Okay, no mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think. I think that when you, if you're catching your opponent, like if you're noticing, you know, the, the stuff that they're making enough to the point where you have to like guess if they're, if it's legitimate or not, I think just continue calling them on it and just asking like, Hey, did you mean to shoot 72 inches? That's a 60 inch gun. Or, Hey, did you mean to shoot 20 times? Just stuff like that. Um, assuming no ill intent. Uh, and then if, and then if they correct them and, and stuff move on, then that's cool. They're correcting them. And I think you can safely assume that they're they're not cheating you. If they start like pushing back, then you can you may call a judge, you know, protect yourself. They basically they start doing shady stuff. But um, it, it's a tough one. It's not not there's no like set guideline here. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like if you give them like a warning, not like a like a official like warning warning, but like a warning saying, hey, just letting you know, like that's not how that works. And they if they repeatedly do that. After you keep tying them, then yeah, that's something. All right. And this is the last question comes from patron Steven. Outside of stream games, how does cheating get investigated? It's already easy for cheaters to get away with things that opponents aren't aware of. Things can get very easily palmed off as rules complications. That's a really good question. 
I think the answer is that without video evidence or without a witness, it's up to the two players at the table to figure out what happened. And um, unless it's something really egregious, it usually is going to be able to slip by, which is unfortunate. So, for example, uh, when I'm playing at the table, I'm very focused on the action, which is where the models are and so on. And there have been times where people have done things at the periphery where observers said, hey, they were doing this. You didn't notice it happen. Oh, but this was pre-ITC, yellow card, red card, all of that. This is a long time ago. But yes, the opportunity is definitely there. And I think if we're talking about preventing that at the highest levels of play, which is where it's most likely to be a concern, then talking about professional level being we're going to have a judge for every other table and they're going to constantly be going between the tables or we're going to guarantee that the tables are streamed gets around that problem. Because unless there's a witness or a third party, it's extremely difficult to conclusively prove, which we're treating this a bit like a tribunal, that something has happened that was intentionally bad that needs to be acted on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Yeah, 100%. And it's definitely something to keep in mind that it's about the culture that we are building as a community. And it's about a lot of, a lot of this game does come down to sort of that social contract that we have with each other when we play the game. Right. So having, having like clear expectations and, you know, understanding of what we want to get out of the game and whatnot, that's all part of it. And so finding, especially at a local level, like an RTT, Sometimes it does come down to sort of like whatever your local RTT level, you know, and and a lot of the times cheating or like forgetting the rules or things like that ends up costing like, a, you know, you're just not allowed to come to the next one sort of thing, right? You know, just something and, and each community will be different with a with a very clear structure. I think it'll be a lot easier for communities to sort of build the standards that they want to, to have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the only thing to add on to that is on the community side, another thing that we could do as a community is uh, normalized calling judges uh, and giving people the tools and resources necessary to be able to protect themselves um, from cheating uh, and from not just from cheating, but just from just misconduct and, um, basically if everyone if everyone has the guidelines and tools necessary to know how to make sure their game is a fun competitive game um uh that would actually help out a lot too and that's that is unfortunately something that i think the community needs to work on in general as well all right that is it for the patron questions thank you so much patrons for asking these are a lot of really great questions that were all very topical uh and good and thought provoking now uh, we're, this is the end of the episode. If you'd like to hear more from any of our three guests, Scary, where can they find you? I normally say the webway. However, 70% has brought me out of the webway, which means um, <laughs> yeah, that's so. just referencing the fact that we Dark Elder have like a 70% win rate or something. Oh, we're going to discuss it next week for yeah, sure. Yeah, which is awesome. However, I will say... I was playing them before they were cool. And there's video and audio evidence to this. Oh, they've always been cool, just not always 70%. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) 
Uh, you can find me on Patreon. Just head on over to patreon.com slash scodcast. I've been doing a lot of articles, building a community of uh, like, like-minded positive gamers. If you'd like to support the content, hey, we're, we're there. We're, or just go to YouTube where things are free and you can just click like and subscribe and all that good stuff. Okay, that's it. My plug for the plug god has been appeased. Right on. Uh, Brandon, is there any plugs you want to you wanna give I'm out? Good. All right. And then finally, Kelsey, first time on the show. Any plugs you want to give out? Um, not really, but if you guys uh, want to find me, I'm usually on the Facebook, the group, the um, Frontline Gaming Community page. He is. Kelsey, you are so active in there. Um, Kelsey's quick to jump in there and help and like and react to every single content creator's podcast, announcement, video, battle report, all that stuff. So you definitely find Kelsey in there as well on Facebook. All right, that is everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, I am so excited to talk about some 40k meta stuff. We're going to talk about Dark Eldar and answer the question if they're really as big of an issue as we suspect. And of course, we're going to bring on our resident Archon for that episode. And as always, have a good one.